Hello, I am Paula Bennett and welcome to my podcast, Ask Me Anything. of ups and downs in my life and I've learned a lot along the way. But now that I've got a midlife crisis reinvention under my belt, I know it's never too late to learn something new. That's why on this podcast, I'm going to be talking to Kiwis from all walks of life to hear about how they got to where they are and get some advice and guidance on some of life's biggest questions. Well, another election year has come around. I think it's always important to understand politics, but especially in election year, we all need a good grip on politics and our politicians. Today, that's exactly what we're going to focus on. How to make sense of politics in 2023. Obviously, I know a fair bit in this area, but to help me out, I think I've called in one of the best. News Talk ZB senior political correspondent Barry Soper. Barry has worked at the Beehive for 43 years through 11 different prime ministers, a lot of MPs. When it comes to understanding politics and politicians, Barry knows all. Hi, Barry. This is a bit of a turning of the tables. Hello, Paul. I just want you to be kinder on me than I was on you when you were in politics. Uh, the boot is on the other foot, and that's very unusual. I was thinking exactly the same thing this morning when I was thinking about talking to you. I was just like, well, this is a complete reversal. And then I was like, I've been desperately trying to think of something really... Nasty to say. Not so much nasty, but something you wouldn't want to answer. And then I can go, that's a political answer. But I, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I have come up with anything. You'll come up with one. Yeah, I bet I will yeah. as we're going. Yeah. Hey, my housekeeping is really easy for this. So the first is I'm allowed to ask you anything, uh-huh. but you don't have to answer. Uh-huh. Fine. And that's actually a really good one. And you would get that with politicians and with anyone. And I get that journos get really angry when politicians don't answer exactly what they want. But particularly on personal, you really don't have to answer questions that people put to you. No, you don't. But the problem with politicians is you usually know the answer yourself and you know what they should be saying, but they don't say anything. And that's the problem. Politicians I've found over the years are, are verbose to the extent that they talk themselves around a corner and sometimes a door opens and they go in and, and it's too late to rescue themselves. So <laughs> that's the difficulty, I think, with interviews, as you'd well know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've certainly been there and I'm sure we're <laughs> going to talk about that a little bit more as we go through. Secondly, which is absolutely, this is a no judgy zone. We just don't get, I just don't go in for that kind of crap. Okay, <laughs> icebreaker questions. Favourite book. Have you got a favourite book that you're reading to Iggy at the moment? Uh, awesome Dad, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> no, he, um, look, he likes uh, Harry McClary from Donaldson's Dairy. It's got a great rhythm to it. Eh? That's right, yeah. He likes looking at the pictures. What I do every night when I put him to bed is I give him a choice. I hold two books in front of him and he's only 11 months, but yeah, yeah. he loves choosing and he'll point or grab at one book and I normally read that to him. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And that's so part of that cognitive development as well, eh? Is, yep. is learning, A, how to control your emotions and then also the power of choice like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's uh, he's an amazing little chap and I enjoy him immensely. Have you got a favourite karaoke song? Oh, God. What it used to be until I actually stood there and listened to myself, thought, no, I don't have a voice for singing. It was New York, New York. But uh, no, uh, not now. I've long since passed that, I'm afraid. Yeah. I was one of those that I think I'm a lot better than I am. Exactly. Yeah. It's normally after a couple of drinks. It's a problem, Paulie. Yeah. You can really belt them out. Yeah. 
No. I'm, and well, you said the old Carrick Oakey Knights with the National Party. Oh, absolutely. Parliament, is Jerry Brownlee was a bit of a, uh, a lad on the karaoke machine. Absolutely. I'm yeah. trying to think of his favourite. Of course, Lockwood Smith. Well, but he's a natural, isn't he? Yeah, Lockwood. he is. I went to his wedding and he sang his vows. Wow. I mean... Wow, that's other level, isn't In it? In an operatic fashion. Yeah, I can quite imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what do I mean? Uh, <laughs> no, don't. Simon Bridges, he liked a song or two. Yeah. I used to sing to him, You're So Vain. That's right. His dancing was uh, needed a bit of work on it, I think. <laughs> okay, a highlight or most important person you met throughout your career? Look, undoubtedly, it was uh, Nelson Mandela. Uh, I met him on several occasions and count myself as very lucky to have met him. I first met him in Harare. In fact, I introduced Nelson Mandela to Jim Bolger. We were at a cocktail function at uh, Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Harare. Nelson Mandela at that stage had not long been released from prison, so he certainly wasn't the president Mm. of South Africa, so he wasn't entitled to be there. And he wasn't at the cocktail function until very late in the piece, and we were making our way to the door. Jim Bolger was getting a bit bored, and the door burst open, the exit door burst open, and this uh, African man in a jalaba came running up to me, and he said, are you with the Prime Minister? And journalists never like being with the Prime Minister, Uh. covering a Prime Minister, but before I could say anything, anything he said, I'd like to you to introduce him uh, to this man, and in walked Nelson Mandela. Wow. So uh, Jim Bolger looked up and basically knocked people over to get there, and I didn't need any introduction. Bolger invited Nelson Mandela to breakfast the next morning, so it was great that we got to meet him, and then I went to his inauguration, mm. uh, went to his funeral. My biggest achievement, I think, think in the parliamentary press gallery was writing to the ANC when he came out here for a Commonwealth leaders meeting mm. and got him to have dinner for the uh, parliamentary press gallery's 125th anniversary. So it was incredible. God, I hope for the generations to come that he is remembered and well read and people just genuinely continue to recognise what an extraordinary leader. Eh? Yeah, it, very sad though, in a way, Paul, and you know, when you talk politics, he was in many ways too old to be the president of South Africa and certainly to see the change that he oversaw. Mm. And I, I've been going back to South Africa probably uh, on an annual basis with my wife. You know, South Africa hasn't improved in the way that Mandela expected it to do so. True. I mean, you've still got those awful settlements and mm. racism is uh, alive and well. And Mandela had hoped that things would have been totally different. So like I said, it came too late in the peace for him, unfortunately. And he sacrificed decades, though, yeah. to get the change. 27 years. Yeah, yeah, bars. yeah. You know, it's a long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, and we probably wouldn't have got that change if he hadn't made that kind of sacrifice oh. with that kind of, obviously. Well, politically, you look at the change and it's incredible when yeah. you think that it's black rule and uh, the minority whites who had ruled the country for so long are now simply citizens and not the leaders of the country, which yeah. is extraordinary. No no real bloodshed to speak of, although murders happen so often mm. there that people lose count. And so let's bring that then a little bit closer to home, because, you know, you sort of talk about change and you talk about change in a political sense. And we've certainly seen politics change. I mean, I've been actively involved for, what, probably 25 years. And I, if I look back and reflect, can think about, for women in particular and 
parliament, just how much it's changed in, in that Absolutely. time. In a relatively short period mm-hmm. of time, in all aspects really, and how much more family friendly and that sort of thing it is. So parliament itself has changed, but equally I think politics and people's access to it from a New Zealand point of view, you will have seen that change and do you think it's improved mm. and it's better now than it was? Uh, absolutely. You know, when I started in the press gallery in 1980, there were just a handful of women in the gallery itself and a handful of women in Parliament. Mm. And now the gallery is dominated by women, more women than men. I think it's a great thing. You know, I'm uh, a great advocate for the participation of all genders in Parliament. It's a better place for it, although a lot of people would say, well, what a bloody mess the place is, because politics uh, at the moment, I think, is probably more messy than I've seen it in years, but it is what it is. But is that not a reflection on society in itself and that perhaps in the old days it was kind of so structured and everybody was like-minded in their thinking that actually it did look smoother and, you know, there were very few people in charge. They made the decisions. You shut up in the back row. Mm. You don't speak until you're bloody spoken to, until you've got your wheels on. And now it's probably more reflective of society in general in that there are such different personalities. It's chaotic at times. Mm. Well, that's MMP, isn't it? Yeah. And that changed the whole face in 1990 changed the face of politics. I mean, first past the post, you had, for example, the party that you still belong to, but you're a representative of, the National Party uh, for three successive elections in the late 70s and early 80s got fewer votes than what Labor did, but yeah. they uh, Muldoon hung on to power until uh, 1984. So, uh, you know, that that is unfair. It's messy because what you really do is now have a true House of Representatives, mm. which is what it's meant to be. And so you get people off the dole into Parliament. You know, it's what society is, but it it doesn't uh, say a lot for cohesion. It's a no. much more difficult place, I think, to manage. Can we talk a bit about party politics? Because yeah. I don't think everybody understands it. And whenever someone is thinking about going into politics and asks for my advice, I always say to them, look really, really, really closely at the party you're going to stand mm. for because there will be times when you will be tested and you won't agree with what they're doing and you have to be able to hold your tongue and actually stand next to it and stand with it. But are we getting too party political in that people can't stand up and have an opinion anymore? You know, because if it's even slightly different than what the leader may have said, you know, then all of a sudden it's a big story and it's mm. a drama and everything else. So we're getting to a point where those party politics dominate so much that even though we might have individuals, they're not able to voice an individual opinion on, on legislation or society in general. Yeah, because you've got a whip system and the whip, a lot of people probably don't understand what a whip is, mm. but a whip is is the like the head boy or the head girl. And uh, if you want leave from Parliament, as you'd well know, to go out to a dinner or whatever, you've got to get the permission of the whip. Mm. And I remember Margaret Wilson, the former Speaker of the House, saying that the hardest aspect of politics that she initially felt was being whipped all the time. That yeah. you know, you can't you can't be yourself because you're there at the behest of your political party. And if the House is sitting at night, Mm. you're expected to be there or at least within the precinct so that you can be called for a vote. So it is tough. It's a regime that you've really got to get used to. It's like going back to school for many because most of them are living away from home. They're living Mm. in flats. And it is like going back to school or university. It's a very unusual environment. And that's probably why it's messy at times. 
Yeah. I mean, it's funny, I drink far more now that I'm out of Parliament than I did when I was there. <laughs> well, I think you're a wise woman. Well, people say, oh, it's all boozing down there and everything yeah. else. But as you just pointed out, the reality was, and particularly when I was in senior roles, right, I could be called into that house at nine o'clock at That's night. Right. And so for me, I'm an all or nothing girl, right? So yeah. I wouldn't even have one glass of wine if there was yeah. any risk. Or And then particularly when I was deputy leader in opposition, I had a real responsibility to run the place at Absolutely. night if something went wrong. And so yeah. actually... As you say, that control, people don't really understand, you know, how much it controls your life. Not that it's all about drinking, but you, I'm just sort of showing the sort of level of discipline that you have to have. Well, you know, it's interesting when you when you go back uh, prior to MMP, when they had the first past the post, I remember Muldoon was legendary for drinking and coming into the yeah. house. And I remember one night there was an appropriation debate, which is basically, as you would know, voting money for the budget. Muldoon came into the house and he stood there for a full five minutes swaying back and forth, calling out, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker. I remember David Longy yelled out, over here, Rob, over here. And Muldoon sort of looked over and almost fell over, um. uh, obviously drunk. And drinking is less frequent yeah. around the place uh, than what it was in those days. But... Uh, the discipline is different because um, you have so many parties there now. Yeah, that's right. And there are different rules. And, and let's yeah. talk about that from a journalist's perspective. And that there are still some nice quirks of it, if you like, that in general a journalist won't report on family unless yeah. it's absolutely yeah. relevant to your portfolio or something that you're doing in that respect. And I think there is that level of respect. Although you've got a lot of newer ones coming through and mm. people wanting to make their mark and there used to be a bit of a, you know, parties and things like that. And in general, it's still there, but it mm. does feel like it's not as sort of staunch as it used to be. I think politicians are more afraid of the media now than what they once were because we had an unwritten rule and I still have it that if you're having a drink with a politician, if you're at their caucus, at a caucus function, or you're in Bellamy's and the Beehive, then what you're told there, you don't report. Mm. You don't report on the politician. You hear a lot of scuttlebutt. You can follow it up in other ways, but you don't attribute it to anyone. But it's a good place for information as long as you don't um, land yeah. somebody in it, and that's the way politics works. Yeah. And do you think it's still like that? Um, well, look, I, I don't socialise as much with the gallery these days and because I'm away from Wellington now. But, you know, I, I, I would hope that they still apply the same rules. Mm, mm. Mm. You know that I've completely reversed how I'm supposed to do my podcast. Um, because you know, I'm supposed to be doing this bit in the second half, but what we're going to do is <laughs> we're going to keep going with this advice on politics and then we're going to talk a bit more of the personal because I want to hear about Iggy. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just going to mix it up a bit and do it back to front so that it's just a bit more interesting for the beginning of the year. So <laughs> Iggy's you, the most interesting. We should have been Oh, my starting. God. We oh, should. Sorry. I know. I was supposed to start with it. That's all right. Carry on. But, you know, we just sort of went down that <laughs> rabbit hole and sometimes you just... It's like I said at the beginning, uh, Paula, that you walk around a corner and then you get into a door and... Did you get to a point where you knew what politicians were going to say before they... Always. Yeah. Always. I mean, sometimes it's pointless asking a question because you know what the answer will be. Politicians, and I think in particular, somebody like Jacinda Ardern was so pre-rehearsed that when you were going to ask the question, you would know exactly what she was going to say. And she never liked being interrupted because I, I did a sit down with her in December. Mm. And you can see it on ZB Online and you'll see the frustration that you ask her a question and the answer is totally unrelated to the question. Yeah. So it's 
it's frustrating to say the least. So did she get to a point where what people loved her for in the beginning they hated her for in the oh, end? Oh, totally. She polarised people so much mm. and that's the problem with populist politics when yeah. you think about it. I likened her to David Longy. That David Longy, you know, when he first got in in 1984 after the snap election was loved by the public yeah. and the public suffered greatly in that first three years, 22% interest rates and uh, inflation out of control. But everybody felt that after the icebox that Muldoon had them uh, living in, mm. that things had to change. So they accepted that and they got a second term simply by just saying, we need to finish the business. But after that, it all fell apart. You know, I think that he was a bit of a show pony prime minister mm. and I think she was the same, uh, yeah. a show pony. And, you know, people loved the idea of the personality, but when you got down to the nitty-gritty and the policy and the answers to questions, they were never there. No. I've said it before, a personality trait that actually I think John Key has as well is that they did love to be loved. Oh, like, you know, I asked them that question once. Yeah, because uh, I don't care. Yeah, to be yeah. quite blunt with you, I mean, of course I care at a level. Yeah. But uh, I, I honestly, I was talking yeah. to one of your senior journos the other day and, and she said to me, oh, the one thing that's always surprised me is you didn't really care. And I went, as long as I felt true to myself yeah. and what yeah. I was doing, yeah. I didn't mind that I polarised. Yeah. But whereas those two did. Oh, well, and John Key, you know, the thing, the thing I think that made John Key more successful, certainly, than Jacinda Ardern was that he was self-deprecating. Yeah. You know, he made a dick of himself on so many occasions, falling off catwalks and yeah. breaking legs at Chinese festivals and doing derpies at universities. Yeah. Planking I, with his son. People, people <laughs> love that. I remember going on the, the first trip that uh, John Key did and we were in the islands. He did the sort of the oh, hula. He cool. said to me on the plane on the way back, he said, oh, I think I might have made a bit of a dick of himself there. And I said, no, that people love seeing that sort of crap. And they do. People, yeah. And as long as, as long as then he's prime ministerial when that's required. Yeah, yeah. And she couldn't quite laugh at herself the same way. No, she? not at all. No, no. Yeah. no. That kind of school prefect sort of thing, eh? That, Very much know. so. So do people voting this year, do they vote on issues that affect them personally? Yeah. Or do they, they do. Yep. All but right. should they be looking wider than that and trying to understand the policies, particularly in the, the times that we are as far as interest rates and potential recessions in the horizon and that sort of thing? Mm. How much of it is, is looking at the bigger picture or really thinking what's best for me? People don't look at the bigger picture. I mean, uh, Rob Muldoon once said, uh, put money in their hip pocket and you'll have their vote. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth in that, that um, people do vote on what's good what they believe is good for them. Uh, the academics would say, look further out and look at the uh, the macro picture of uh, politics and, yeah. um, you know, how the country does is more important than how you're doing personally. But people aren't like that. People, um, they relate and they'll relate to Chris Hipkins much more, I believe, than uh, they've in recent years related to Jacinda. Which, he's a nice guy. He's He's... Down to earth. He's yeah. a hut boy, you know, yeah. uh, as he says. Down to earth guy. He's, he's, he's self-deprecating. I was going to say he can laugh at himself. Yeah, yeah yep. he does. And uh, so he's a, he's a different kettle of fish. But, um, you know, um, I think there is a real mood out there. There's a malaise in the country. And I'll tell you what, uh, this last summer won't have helped that no. uh, people are feeling miserable because they haven't haven't essentially had their uh, summer holiday. Yeah. And if that's Jacinda Ardern's nuclear-free moment... 
uh, move me into the sun. Yeah. And we're going to head into winter, which is going to be awful. We're going to have wait lists in hospitals that are going to be longer than ever. We're going to have the cost of living continue to rise. We are going to see real changes. If people don't feel fully on top of politics, what would your advice be, Barry? Where is the best place to get your information or best thing to do to get perhaps a greater understanding? News Talk ZB. Hi. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get lots of opinions on it. Well, the problem, I think the problem for the media at the moment is, and it stems from the COVID period, that they had what Jacinda Ardern christened the pulpit of truth. That assumed that everything that they said from the pulpit was truthful. And day after day after day, she was speaking or preaching yeah. from the pulpit of truth. And the media you know, they were they would look to be somewhat impotent, I think. So a great distrust during that period, I think, uh, built up for the media, which was really unfortunate mm. uh, because, you know, the truth always didn't come from the pulpit. And one good example, very briefly, is that uh, in that first month from the pulpit, they talked about the lockdowns. Well, a story that yours truly did found that the lockdowns initially were illegal. Yeah. yeah. And it was upheld by the High Court. Well, you know, uh, people should be able to be challenged. The media have no bent in terms of pushing agendas, my belief, that uh, the media are there for a good story. If it's a good yarn, they'll do it. So I think still the media is the best place if you really want to know what's going on. I actually really agree with you. When I was in politics and people would say they didn't like X journalists or whatever, yeah. and then they'd say, oh, I can't believe that story they did on you last night. And I went, yeah, well, tomorrow night will be different. Yeah. Actually, it's not yeah. personal. No. You know, I did make a mistake, you know, and I made yeah. a dick of myself. Or I might disagree with what you've done, but yeah. hey, that's sort of life. You've got a job to do. I've got a job to do. Yeah. You'll be, you know, I won't agree with everything you do, you won't agree with everything I do, but you get on with it because it is a job to do. And I used to, you know, particular ones that people would attack, I'd say, well, they would attack Labour as much as they would attack Mm. National. It's actually not personal. Well, you know, and people like me, as I've said to Jacinda Ardern's Chief Press Secretary once, uh, because they complain, and I said, look, Andrew, see us as the theatre critic. We comment on stuff. Generally, we give a critique of it. And it's nothing personal, it's how we see it. Yeah. And after 40 plus years in politics, I think I'm entitled to have a say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do think people can trust the media? Yep. And do you think, is TV a bit different in that it's a bit more dramatised or, because you get to go on and give an opinion, right? Yeah. You've got an analysis that, as you say, has got decades Mm, of background to it. Is there some merit for some that just feel it's all a bit light and fluffy now? Well, unfortunately, by its very nature, television is quite superficial. Mm. You know, the stories are short. The analysis is very short. Dare I say it, in my time, they used to have political shows devoted to the issues of the day. And you would have debates on television at night. Long since gone, and I think that's a great pity. Yeah. Okay, Barry, we're going to come back. We're just going to have a short break and then a segment after that where we're just going to quickly talk a bit about Iggy and your personal life and where you're heading over the next few years. Thank you. News Talk ZB senior political correspondent Barry Soper with me today. We've been talking politics, but now we're going to talk, Barry, a bit about the change in your life. So you've moved to Auckland yes. recently. Yep. Welcome. Thank you, Jeffers. Um, yeah, we're, we're sort of 
at the stage, which is always really difficult in people's lives, selling houses and buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're buying on a flat market and selling on a hey, flat market. So, you know, same market. It doesn't make you feel very good, though. But no, anyway, it doesn't, but hey, it is, it is yep. what it is. I was at the airport a few months ago and I bumped into Catherine Rich, who, of course, you would know. She's and a her, relation of mine. Her oh, mother was a soper. Well, there you go. We're, we're all related oh down south. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, anyway, Catherine and I talking away, out come our photos of our grandchildren like we mm. do, and then I am not kidding you, Barry. Her and I just looked at each other and just went, do you live for photos of Iggy? (laughs) 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 I am not kidding. So here's these two middle-aged women in the airport who just genuinely looked at each other. So (laughs) Barry and Heather have got the cutest, who obviously us middle-aged women live for photos of, Iggy. And how old is he now? 11 months. 11 11 months. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so you're a hands-on dad this time round. Well, yeah, I've been sort of the primary caregiver, they call it, last year. Uh, Iggy's my sixth child, so Mm. I've been there, done that. And I've had to explain to my older kids and apologise to them that when you have your first families, you tend to um, be pursuing your career, trying to make money, buying houses so you don't have the same time. Now, now I'm an old geezer and uh, far too old to be having kids, but nevertheless, uh, there you go. And he has been fantastic. He's... um, He's the joy of my life. He's just wonderful. Being at home and watching his development day by day, it, it fills me with absolute joy. I mean, I've, I've never experienced anything quite like it. They're the best time wasters in the world, aren't oh, they? Oh, well, you wonder where the bloody time goes, <laughs> you know, that um, you're trying to balance stuff and uh, you just don't get the time. Yeah, and you'd yeah, know yeah. that. You were a very young oh, mum. I was an absolutely young mum. Yeah. And then, you know, and let's say I've got grandchildren and you can, you can just sort of sit there and go, well, two hours has just disappeared and all I've done is is baby talk (laughs) Um, and been absolutely amazed that this is the most intelligent baby that's ever, you know. Of course. Of course they are. Absolutely smarter than most. So child number six, Barry, have you got advice for young parents that are, as you said, they are trying to juggle mortgages and careers and families and relationships and what would you say to them? Look, I'd say, and I've often said it to uh, young people with their first child, your life is going to change forever. And it does. My mother used to describe it and say, you're having a child is like having a soul outside your body. And I think, you know, it's to that extent you've wow. got, you give everything to your child because your child is the most important thing really in your life. And you've got to nurture them from the day they're born until the day you die. Mm. And give yourself a break. If you can, if you're fortunate <laughs> well, enough. Well, even, I mean, you don't have to be perfect all the time and yeah. you're allowed to think that the oh, dishes yeah. sit in the bloody sink. And, and you if you're angry and frustrated, you know, that's part of being a parent, but never take it out on the child. It's oh. not the child's fault. But, you know, of course you're allowed uh, feelings of frustration because it's a frustrating old business. So how are you juggling part-time work then with, as you say, a fairly full-time parenting yeah. role, trying to maintain well, a marriage, I imagine, as well? Yeah, Our relationships still need working on. Oh, it's it's right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 I often think now, Paula, now I know what I know, I take my hat off to women for staying at home with their kids. And you d- I didn't really appreciate it fully until mm. I've done it. And I take my hat off even more to what you once were, was a solo yeah. mum. How on earth? 
with your cope as a solo mum, I'll never know that it's so hard uh, emotionally, uh, every which way, work-wise. And lonely. Actually. And lonely, yeah, because yeah, you've, you've got a little baby. So I take my hat off uh, to, generally to women that do it. And it's it's sort of opened my eyes totally to uh, child rearing and just how difficult it can be. But it's so joyful as well when yeah. you see the the way they develop it's there's nothing on earth quite like it. Yeah. Last year, you asked me how I cope. Well, for two hours a day, I had a nanny come in, basically to keep Iggy away from the microphone. And, yeah. and um, this year, we've got another wonderful nanny here in Auckland, and she's working a little bit longer. So I'll have a bit more time to come into the office and what have you, and maybe write a few yeah, 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 yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's co- as you say, it's coping. You've really yeah. got to. Um, and good on you for acknowledging that. And, I, and we should acknowledge Solo Dad out there as well because there's so mm. many of them doing an amazing yeah. job raising their children too. But at least, well, let's, I was going to say at least you've got an adult conversation. You have just got adult conversation. You've got one of the most intelligent, bloody broad, <laughs> you know, well-read and knowledgeable woman that you're married to and Heather. <laughs> so your conversations would be at another level, but at least you've got that sort of stimulus as well. Whereas, yep. as I just say, there's moments for those sole parents when it can be long nights oh, and long days yeah. and feeling like it's all about the same. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great experience experience and, um, you know, I don't regret one moment of it. So more babies, do you think? Uh, not, not going to tell you that on this particular podcast, <laughs> but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so you didn't have to answer. That. <laughs> That's right. Well, it was a no answer really, was it? You know? <laughs> That's none of your business because it's not. It's really, yeah, 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 it's absolutely yeah. not, but hey, you never know, do you? So a long time in the Beehive and in Parliament, do you miss it? Do you think you will miss it? I'll miss certain aspects of it. You know, uh, when there's leadership changes, when big announcements are made, you miss the cut and thrust, uh, which I enjoyed. And I remember when I came into Parliament initially, I came in as political editor. So I was the boss at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And when I came in, I thought... I'll have a couple of years in this job as you do in your late 20s because I'd been a journalist at that stage for about 10 years. So uh, I thought I'll, you know, come in for a couple of years and then move on to something else, which I'd always done. Mm. But politics gets into your blood. It's um, a fascinating business and it's not just about policy because it's about people actually. And I've found the, the people that I've dealt with and particularly prime ministers, which I'm writing about at the moment. Oh, cool. You know, prime ministers are fascinating people because mm. they've all got their quirks. They all think they're doing the best for the country, but at times, unfortunately, they're not doing very well at all. Have you ever thought about jumping ship? So had you thought about either going in as a press secretary or becoming a Member of Parliament? No. Well, Member of Parliament initially, I thought maybe Mm. after a few years, that's what I might do. But then I realised just what sort of a business it was. Press secretaries, I had many opportunities, but um, (laughs) never taken it up. It just wouldn't be me. Uh, I, I remember once I was offered a job in PR and it was really good money. I thought, hang on, I couldn't make up my mind and I was, it was offering me much more than I was on. So I went to an industrial psychologist and on the couch and at the end of it, the psychologist said to me, Barry, I think you've made up your mind. And I said, oh, yeah, what have I, what, what have yeah, I, yeah. What have I decided? And uh, he said that you're going to go to PR. And I thought, what the hell do you know? 
in Parliament and had a great time and it reinvigorated me, so I was quite happy with my choice. Are you going to be screaming at the radio and the TV? I feel like you might be. I do it now. Yeah, and especially (laughs) with journalists and not asking the questions that you think they should because I remember that time in lockdown when you couldn't get to the um, Prime Minister's pulpit of truth where she stood up there and dictated what questions she would take and how she would do them. And then you did get there and she didn't like you very much. Um, But do you think you're going to sit there screeching at those young journalists and, you know... Um, There's an element of that, but I don't think I'll watch it with such intensity, although part of my job is I have to watch them because I have to know what's going on. So, yeah, there'll be aspects of it, but I do have colleagues that I can Mm. text at the press conference and say, ask him this and they generally do. So, you know, you've still got a bit of an influence. What's a question then that you wish you could have asked politicians, but you probably haven't? Well, it's to you in particular, I suppose. Do you miss, since you've been out, do you miss the limelight? Oh, yeah, this is, you, you can ask me anything. No, no. And But then about six months afterwards, I didn't miss politics at all. Yeah. But I realised I still needed a stage occasionally. Yep. You know, so that's part of my personality. Do you miss the cut right? and thrust? Um, yes. Yeah. I, I quite like the bluntness and the intellectual stimulant yeah. of it, but not to the point that I'd ever go back. I mean, people, yeah. you, you shouldn't go back. I'm a, yeah. you're done, and I am done. Yeah. So I realised I needed a stage, and so then I'm lucky enough that I do enough keynote speaking. Mm. I'm lucky enough to be doing this podcast, you know, which I love. So I kind of now have got a really good balance yeah. of having, because I am the classic introvert expert, you know, I yeah. love being home alone and, you know, yeah, like me. down yeah, like and, me too. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, what about, I, I need something to be about me for a while, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about me? Yeah. You know, so I sort of worked that out. But I'd got to the stage there, I, I remember Bill English calling me in and him saying to me, I'm going to resign. Hmm. And I got all teary and he looked at me and went, oh, for God's sakes, don't get emotional. <laughs> and I went, I'm crying for me, not you. <laughs> Yeah. I'm stuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? And that was because I was an electorate MP and I would yeah. never cause a by-election, right? Yeah. And it was at that point I thought, oh, your time's going to come up. You know, like, it, it's not now. Yes. Because yeah. I'm committed, so I'm a big girl, sucking in, you know. The other question I'd like to ask you Go on is, because um, I remember on the election night when Winston Peters chose uh, Jacinda Ardern to be the Prime Minister and National, I think, was 7% ahead on polling mm. day, and I remember standing in the beehive and interviewing Bill English, and Mary English was standing mm. behind him. I did ask her, I said, how are you feeling about all of this? How did you feel that night? It must have been bloody awful. Bloody awful. And we'd sat around for days, and I mean, you know some of the people that used to work for me mm. and with me and how lucky we were. And we, were mm. well, we were all going tropo, right? Because, you know, you kind of couldn't leave because you might, you know, and all the rest of it. But it had been – and then you kind of in your gut, you knew he wasn't going to choose us. Yeah. But you still had hope. Yeah. You know, and of course you had to go in with hope because afterwards I was just like, why did I even believe for a minute that he might go with us? Well, actually you had to have that level of belief, otherwise you wouldn't have gone to negotiations as fulsome as you needed to. So, yeah, I was gutted. I was as gutted for Bill as I was for anything else because yeah. I really felt like he had unfinished work as Prime well, Minister. Well, he, he did an amazing job in that last year when you consider it, yeah. you know, to maintain the National Party's lead yeah. and to deliver it on the day, which was pretty extraordinary, yeah. really. 
No, I went round playing Dixie Chicks, I'm not ready to make nice, about Winston Peters for a good few months there. <laughs> I think Winston might be playing that himself. <laughs> yeah, he might be, he might be. Barry, so great to see you again, and thank you for joining us today. All the best with Iggy, and if people want more from you, they can hear you on News Talk ZB. And that is a wrap for this episode of Ask Me Anything. You can get in touch with me by emailing askpaula at nzme.co.nz. Please feel free to send me through your questions for the podcast or any thoughts you have. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Please do follow Ask Me Anything on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can read my weekly column in The Herald on Sunday. I'm Paula Bennett. Ask Me Anything. Goodbye. Goodbye.